again, everybody. This is John Norris at Trading Perspectives. As always, we have our very good friend, Sam Clement. Sam, say hello. Hey, John. You doing okay? I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And you know, right here, we're, t- we're, we're taping this on Friday before Memorial Day, getting ready for a long weekend. And I know that you could probably use the uh, added vacation day. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. I know you are, too. Yeah, I, I am. Why not? Who, who doesn't like a little day off, particularly when there's it's a true day off and yeah. no one else is working and what right. have you? Otherwise, I feel a little bit guilty. I feel as though I need to be in the office. But are you doing anything, anything fun for Memorial Day? I'm not doing too much. Might go down to the lake for a little bit, but nothing like what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going going to the beach and probably sit inside and read a book. That's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Nice and relaxing. Or I could end up reading like some of the stuff that I read this week, which actually caused me to think a little bit. And I know I sent I sent some of it to you, Sam. And I know I know you know what I'm talking about. It's recently people are getting back on the bandwagon about do high deficits matter? I mean, clearly the people that do modern monetary theory don't think that high deficits matter. Right. And there are other people who are inflation hawks that would certainly say high deficits do matter. We can't just continue to spend all of this money and not have bad things happen eventually. At some point, this is surely going to lead to hyperinflation. And I had people last week ask me about this. How can we run these budget deficits? How can the Federal Reserve keep the overnight lending target as low as it has? How can we do quantitative easing? How can we do all of this stuff without having inflation, if not hyperinflation, happen? And and intuitively, Sam. I mean, it's a a confusing, I mean, it's a big number thrown out there. So, I mean, it is, it's, it's hard to believe that this 22, $22 trillion debt that we've now surpassed, 23, 22, but um, that it's really not going to have this long-term devastating impact on our economy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It certainly is. And But what if I were to tell you that increasingly, as I've gotten older, I'm getting to be more and more of the opinion that perhaps no one is right when it comes to higher deficits? I'd like to hear about that. <laughs> Because intuitively, surely someone's right. <laughs> Lord knows. I mean, I'm trying to find. <laughs> maybe it. it's you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe it is me. Trying to find that person because if you were to sit there and think just solely public debt deficits, right. right? Just whatever the central government spends in excess of what it brings in, those types of deficits and accumulated debt would certainly lead to a higher rate of inflation well, sure. and, and higher interest, all, all of it. It's just your natural thought process. That's what really. your natural thought process is. And then all someone has to do, Sam. It's just say, well, why hasn't this happened in Japan? Yeah. Where Japan runs a much higher public debt to GDP ratio than the United States. It's about double what our public debt to, to uh, GDP ratio is. And yet, as we all well know, it's largely in a deflationary or, if not deflationary, a no inflation envir- environment with very low uh, levels of interest rates. So if high public deficits do matter, then how do we account for the Japanese? It's a good question. It is a good question. And so one of the things that I, you know, I sent you that presentation deck from a gentleman by the name of Lacey Hunt, who is the head of economic analysis or head economist at Hoisington uh, Capital Management. I believe they're in Austin. And I, I've been familiar with Lacey Hunt ever since, gosh, back in the early 90s when he was the chief economist for a firm that is no longer around called Carol McEntee. And I did have the, uh, the, the great privilege, I mean, privilege, is a wonderful presentation that night, uh, to hear him speak at a restaurant on the mall in uh, Washington, D.C., back when I was living up in that general area. And I will tell you, Lacey Hunt has been preoccupied with the de- deficit and with the, with the long-term bond ever since I've 
known the man. And yeah. so it was nice to see that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And Lacey Hunt is still talking about the long-term bond and about uh, and federal budget deficits. Yep. People, but, people that really sink their teeth into that, they don't really ever not sink their teeth into a subject like that, especially as it continues to get worse and worse. A lot of these people are people complaining about three trillion dollars in debt five trillion dollars in debt and he he certainly was at the time (laughs) yeah what i did find interesting was he had a couple theorems and one of them is that high deficits in and of themselves might not matter terribly much when it comes to higher rates of inflation matter of fact higher deficits could even actually lead to lower inflation and lower interest rates over time. And I think maybe he's moderated a little bit in his tone over the last 25 years, largely due to what we've seen in Japan and increasingly, Sam, what we are seeing in this country as our debt has mushroomed right. to $22, 23000000000000 trillion, and with truly no end in sight. Truly. Yeah. No end in sight. It's that, getting worse and worse and worse. It's getting I mean, worse, and there's really nothing that we are prepared to do. Any, we're not prepared to do anything about it as a society, let alone, a, uh, let alone the government. And yet here we have seen interest rates continue to go down and down and down. And inflation is, according to the Fed, confoundingly lower than where it could or should be given our fiscal and financial imbalances. Our ability to not quit spending everyone else's money. (laughs) And one of the charts in that presentation deck that I thought was interesting was the fact that perhaps we focus a little bit too much on public debt. Uh, and not just overall debt, and we're better put overall savings sure. within the economy. So the reason why perhaps some of this has happened is that although the although the government has been spending money with great aplomb and, and borrowing money and and running a negative savings rate uh, for long years, the United States was able to really kind of self finance that. Yeah, which the Japanese have been able to self finance. Yeah, um, and that's the that's the key here self-financing or financing a budget deficit just in general. And I think, you know, Hunt got it partially right, but the more I think about it, it's higher deficits don't necessarily lead to all those bad things as long as you can finance those deficits. Yeah, that's two important sort of caveats to this is that um, people still believe in the U.S. government Mm -hmm. and people still want Mm -hmm. United States dollars. Mm -hmm. And so as long as we can, can... Continue to attract capital from the public, from the private sector here sure. in the United States, but increasingly as well, well, no, uh, the remainder of the world. I can't come up with a with a scenario that just a higher deficit in and of itself is going to lead to significantly higher rates of inflation or interest rates, uh, as long as other people still view the United States as a good bet. Right. There would need to be some sort of big change in the yes. demand for yes. um, just U.S. debt, really, yes. whether it's more risk on. Um, if the U.S. started to default on some of its debt somehow, um, or if people just stopped wanting United States currency. Yes, and uh, the, the only scenarios where I can think of that happening, after taking a look at history, and while we have been told historical performance is not indicative of future results, and all that good stuff, Sam, I also happen to know that history is the best predictor of the future that there right. is. So it's and, really and, the only predictor. And if you of the study economics, it's really all you have to work on. Is and, and when you see those societies and those economies, uh, which have seen hyperinflation over time or just have some kind of shock to their system where where inflation just completely ruins right. savings and what have you, I would submit it wasn't necessarily budget deficits from the central government's uh, point of view or the central government's budget deficits, which led to these hyperinflationary periods. It was the collapse 
in several things. One was the rule of law. Yeah. And the two was individual property rights. And when that type of thing happens, it's impossible to finance your deficit because people with money within the country do not want to give it to the government. They don't want that money anymore. They want other people's money. And and that's right. And and then when that happens, foreign investors will not view your economy as a good bet, understanding that the government doesn't, I mean, the the local government doesn't protect your rights. Those bonds, uh, debt is no longer considered a safe asset like the U.S. debt is right now. I mean... Nobody thinks they're not going to get their money back when they're buying an even three-month bill or a thirty-month tre- or thirty-year treasury. I mean, they're going to get their money back. That's right. So, so the so when I put it like that, I'm thinking of some recent examples of either hyperinflation or significantly high levels of inflation that yeah. might not classify or come out as hyperinflation. Yeah. And those two things, absence of the rule of law and absence of individual property rights, or in either separately or combined, ordinarily ordinarily combined, produce the hyperinflation. Yeah, I mean, it's not the budget deficit. Take Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, Venezuela. Where? Venezuela, even Argentina to a lesser degree. Sure. That's when you start seeing inflation is when the government knowingly and wittingly stops protecting uh, property rights and no longer adheres to the rule of law, and so they can't finance their, their deficits. So they have no choice since they can't finance it in a normal way, they have no choice but to do what? Turn on the printing press. Right. Turn on the printing press, so much so in Zimbabwe, what, a couple of decades ago, where they introduced a $100 trillion note. Yeah, I mean, you're still seeing in Venezuela people, their just savings just decimated. I mean, yeah. they have no more money anymore. It becomes more valuable to start burning that money for heat and fuel than it is actually the currency itself. So so I would tell you that, that that's really the issue. And so has the government deficit, the Washington's deficit, gotten to the point where we are going to have a difficult time financing it moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you look at every country in the past 25 years or mm-hmm. so, 30 years, that's had any sort of hyperinflation, Hungary, Zimbabwe, I mean, if you want to go back to the 1920s, Germany had it, um, Greece had it in World War II. Yeah. Um, it's none of these ultra-stable economies, countries, full faith of the government like you see with the United States yeah. right now. And without a doubt. And when people point to you know the Carter-era administration as examples of inflation run amok and bad policies, think about the budget deficits we were running at that time. Yeah. There's nothing compared to what we have now, both right. in absolute or relative terms. And then get this, Sam. It wasn't even necessarily an explosion in the size of the money, of the money supplies defined by M2. M2 was growing at a high, relatively high level. You want to explain M2? <laughs> M2 is just money supply includes all cash on hand, bank balances, institutional money just market funds. Broad amount of Broad money amount, anything that can be um, cash or near cash yeah. in a very short period of time. It's your, uh, the economy's liquidity. Yeah, it's pretty ubiquitous yeah, for just it, cash. It's, yeah, it's the economy's uh, liquidity. Sure. So M2 wasn't growing by 20% or something along those lines. It was growing by 8%, I think, in 78, and around that between 78 and, and 80. Yeah. Meanwhile, the inflation was going 13 14%. So what gives? And I'll tell you, there was an exogenous shock to the economy in the oil embargo from OPEC. Right. 
where crude oil prices, I believe, if I'm getting this at the this time, part, wasn't over a hundred dollars a barrel. It was like hundred and two dollars a barrel, which that's in 1970s <laughs> which dollars is a, as a percentage of GDP. And Sam and I ran the numbers and kind of looked at it, kind of bug out. A hundred and two dollars. What what year was that that we did that? And it was like 1980 or, or yeah, right around there, 79, 80. It was the end of 79. Yeah. Uh, crude oil hit $102 in some sense in December of 79. As a percentage of GDP, that one barrel of crude oil in December of 1979, at the end of March of this year, would have been akin, analogous, or equivalent to $880 a barrel of crude. It's pretty jaw-dropping when you That's put it That's jaw-dropping, so no wonder... We be had, hard not to. <laughs> I mean, no wonder there weren't some kind of shocks to inflation. Yeah. And ultimately, a lot of people give uh, William Miller, who was the Fed chairman at the time, a sure. lot of blame. Give Carter a lot of blame. I would submit there wasn't necessarily anything fiscally that anyone did wrong or monetary policy did wrong in order to get this double-digit inflation numbers. Yeah. It was more the exogenous shock to the system. And then also maybe a little bit of confusion about what happens after Bretton Woods. Yeah, collapse. no more gold standard. But, I mean... You just think about energy prices. I mean, you look at a lot of these inflation numbers exclude energy prices for that same reason. Yeah. Um, it just funnels into every single sector of the whole economy, inflation-wise. Yeah. If that goes up, I mean, transportation cost goes up. Mm-hmm. You know, heating goes up. You know, um, refrigerating to cool like frozen foods at grocery stores mm-hmm. goes up. It's everything. So. You, and, you get $800 barrels of crude. It's no wonder the inflation just runs them up. Yeah, without a doubt. And then, and kind of with that in mind, exogenous shocks to systems can cause inflation. But then ultimately it is, Sam, whether or not people view your economy and your currency as a good bet. Yeah. Period. End of discussion. Now, intuitively, the higher deficit, ultimately people will view you as less and less of a good bet. And that will weaken your currency and lead to potentially higher rates of inflation or higher interest rates. But it has to get to some sort of certain point. As long as the United States is the biggest, baddest bully on the block, and and as long as we have such a large economy, and as long as, and this is important, our financial system is as large and as transparent and as liquid as it currently is, it is going to be a very long period of time until foreign investors view the United States as a bad risk on the economic front. Yeah, especially with how f- like free our economy is to, you know, free market mm-hmm. democracy. I mean, you see some of these bigger countries, China, it's, you know, I wouldn't be as comfortable in an economy like that as I would be in the United States. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to imagine any point in which, I mean, I, I, I don't know, 23 trillion, it doesn't give me enough heartburn to not buy treasuries anymore. <laughs> and a lot of people. As yeah, I mean, no, by, clearly no one, is, with interest rates no one is week. getting really any heartburn from $23 trillion in debt. Because they're viewing the U.S. economy and, and therefore the U.S. currency and dollar-denominated assets as still a good bet relative to other bets around the globe. Right. And that's key. Yeah. That's key. We might not be, in absolute terms, as good a bet as we were 40 years ago, sure. but relative to everyone else. What's the old expression in the land of the blind? Yeah. The one-eyed man is king. And that's kind of the way we are because everyone else has so many problems with their own balance sheet that while our balance sheet is eroded, we are still an attractive bet. As such, there is still a demand for U.S. dollar-dominated securities and therefore the U.S. currency. And as long as the US, is there's demand for the U.S. currency, we will be able to finance our deficits. Yeah, it's just a different viewpoint that a lot of people aren't really looking at when they look at that giant $23 trillion number. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure our interest payments now on that debt is more than our whole defense budget. Uh, <laughs> well, that's because the U.S. Treasury, and this is what a lot of people don't realize, borrow a lot. It borrows a lot of money in the short-term bill market. Yeah. And so when bills were yielding 15 basis points right. or one quarter of one percentage point, our debt serv- the debt service on, on, the, on the accumulated debt was next to nothing. Yeah. I mean, truthfully. You raise the overnight lending target to even 2.5%, the bill market follows in suit. So we've seen an explosion in our debt service yeah. just simply due to the Federal Reserve over uh, increasing the overnight lending target over the last couple of years. So when President Trump is out there, for all intents and purposes, tweeting or, or yelling or whatnot at j Powell to cut the overnight lending target, it's partially about stoking economic growth. It's also taking a look at what's going on with the debt yeah. service. Not having to pay as much in interest. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is pretty part, good to the which government's is part point of the deficit yeah. and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's all of this. If it sounds circular, it kind of is. Yeah. So, when going back to do high deficits matter, they do matter. They do matter over time, but up to a point where the central government decides that it will no longer, the deficits are forcing them to abandon the rule of law right. and ba- abandon individual property rights, and therefore they won't be able to finance their, their deficits any longer. Then they turn on the printing press, and that's when the bad right. stuff really starts to happen. As is evidence, again, in Zimbabwe, and uh, back, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, I mean. And then as is evidence, what's currently Yugoslavia, was in, it? In, in Venezuela. Doubling interest rates, and was it two days? Cash was half the value two days later. That would be awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. Absolute mayhem. So, so what we're really saying is that it's kind of in the middle, you know, these people that are worried about the deficit itself, yeah. the, um, and then the people that aren't nearly as worried as yeah. about the deficit. It's kind of in the middle. I mean, it, it is a concern, but not at its current point. Well, you're right about that, but we're only focusing on inflation and interest rates. We're not necessarily talking about overall economic activity. Right. That's very, that's very key. It does seem to be... And, and this is all the data and, uh, suggests higher deficits don't necessarily lead to an explosion in, in inflation or interest rates, which are, are joined to the right. hip. But what it does seem to happen is the larger the deficit, the slower the economic activity. Yeah. And it's going back to what the overall national savings rate is. Yeah. And, the, and so you got the private sector savings rate, and then you have the public sector savings rate, and deficits, by definition, are negative savings. Yeah. So the larger the negative savings by the government, by the public sector, the larger the private sector savings have to be to account for that. Otherwise, you have a national savings rate, which is either zero, which means very little economic growth, or negative, which means no economic growth, or slightly positive, uh, which means some economic growth. And that is what we've seen in Japan, and that is what we have seen increasingly in the United States. I think our national savings rate is around 3%. So with a national savings rate at 3%, it's going to be very difficult to forecast rampant economic growth when adjusted for even the small levels of inflation that we currently have. Yeah. I agree. Man, how's that for nerdy today? <laughs> that was pretty heady topic. <laughs> so, guys, I am so sorry. Sometimes we have to do this type of thing. We can't talk about baseball games all the time or baseball tickets all the Sometimes we've got to get some media economic stuff out, like we did today. But, Sam, I'm not sure we're trading any sort of perspectives here today. No, just kind of digesting it a little more talking about it something so so folks while uh, hopefully this you're going to hear this after memorial day but when the fourth of july comes up you got a little extra time you're sitting around maybe barbecuing at the beach or doing whatever having a, a having a cold beer or beverage of your choice and of course as a conversation as they always do comes around to higher budget deficit 
you can sit there and say, listen, I've never listened to these two guys that said, listen, it's almost like Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, Dr. Strangelove or how I quit learning, worrying and learned to love, love the bomb. It's kind of like interest rates. Budget, budget deficits, how I quit worrying and learned to love budget deficits or something along those lines. Well, there you have it. There you have it. So, Sam, we're not trading perspectives today, but we always want to thank people for listening and hearing us out. So we'd love to hear from you all. So if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. You can always send us an email to tradingperspectives at oakworthcapital.com, or you can leave us a review on the podcast outlet of your choice. If you're interested in hearing more or reading more of what we have to say or how we think, you can check out our blog, commonsense at oakworthcapital.com. Sam, you got anything else? That's all I got. That's all I've got today, too, which was quite a lot. (laughs) So y'all take care.